Welcome to the Joy Factory, where we explore the art of happiness at work. I'm Susan DePazio, your host and founder of Be Future Ready Today, where we develop toolkits that simplify our world of work and empower the how for happier and healthier outcomes so that people and businesses can truly thrive. Our podcast guests come from all walks of life, and today we're delighted to welcome John Ferguson. Welcome, John. Thank you, Susan. Delighted to be with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, a little bit about John's background. Uh, John and I are both panel judges for HR Network Magazine's National Awards, and I've had the privilege of working with John this last two to three years. And I have to say, it's, it's been an honour, and I've learned a, a tremendous amount from from buddying up with John. Um, beyond this, though, John is a highly acclaimed leadership guru with more than 25 years of experience helping people and teams reach their peak performance. His speciality lies in the boardroom and at executive levels where people look to get ahead. His skill in facilitation, coaching and honing commercial success makes him one of the most sought after experts around. John has lent expertise across numerous industries and regions always striving for tangible results that ensure strategic alignment and drive engagement. He's readily known for delivering results with speed and, I have to say, panache. Um, so, uh, yeah, in this episode, we're going to be chatting about passion, purpose and the power of leadership to elevate performance. We'll be exploring how leaders find their true north and create balance across all aspects of life, including carving out an identity that creates fulfillment, not just for themselves, but for others too. How to develop self-awareness through emotional intelligence and avoid these ego-dancing moments we can all suffer from on occasion, all in the quest for achieving results and balancing priorities. So that we've got a lot to get through, John, but. First of all, I'd like to start our conversation off by asking you, on a personal level, what does joy mean to you? Well, it's a great question, uh, Susie, and uh, I'll respond to that in a second, but I really, I really did blush when you, you read your question <laughs> there. I didn't quite re uh, recognise myself. But anyway... Oh, you're being bashful. You're being bashful. I know it to be true. <laughs> anyway, yes, it's a great question about joy because for me, uh, joy uh, relates to my well-being and uh, how contented I am. And uh, you've met my wife, uh, Jan, and Jan and I are blessed with three wonderful daughters. And I have to tell you that Jan and my daughters are the prime source of my joy in life. And uh, everything revolves around about them. And I, I guess uh, the, the real answer to your question is, my joy comes from watching their accomplishments. That's how I feel. Yes, absolutely. If they're achieving and they're happy, then that relates to me and my happiness. Oh, that's so lovely. And having um, met and spent time with Jan, I can uh, easily see why that is. And I think, you know, well-being, you said a word that 
funnily enough, my mother uses a lot, and that's contentment. And um, I, I really feel that sometimes in this fast-paced life we all lead, and particularly when we're early in our careers, you kind of sometimes you can lose sight of the fact just how intoxicating contentment can be, don't you oh, think? Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're making me think about a couple of things, but just before I get to those, Jan just sent me a tweet uh, from her. She's, as you know, a senior charge nurse in a hospital in Edinburgh, and her and her one of her colleagues, a senior colleague, are celebrating 75 years in the NHS today. It's wonderful, isn't it? Beautiful picture of the, them both, and I thought, what an accomplishment. But, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Susie, and you're making me think once more, uh, reflect a bit about a long time ago I used to work in New York, and a colleague and I, uh, at my instigation, uh, went along to see a presentation which was in, this is going to tell you how long ago, uh, <laughs> uh, a presentation which was entitled Priorities, ah. Pam Pilots and the Purpose of Life. Now, a lot of people will never heard of a Pam Pilot, but it's a sort of electronic organiser in the day. Yes. We went to this event thinking it'll be interesting. I'm not sure how many people will be there, but we'll walk along. Do you know we couldn't get a seat in really? the hundreds, literally hundreds of people attending this. And for me, that signifies something about the importance of people, especially senior people, getting their priorities right and remembering that they have a purpose in life which is broader and deeper than the world of the work. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we're constantly learning that and by... Uh, sadly, in some occasions, but sometimes we get reminders that we've got to be clear about uh, priorities uh, in this world. And this world, as you said, Susie, is a fast-moving, complex, volatile, uh, oblique world, isn't it? Yes, yeah, well, it is. And it, you know, it's one of the reasons I really... I'm passionate about the joy factory and, and sort of exploring the art of happiness at work because we spend so much time at work. And what really occurred to me as you were as, as you were talking there was that, you know, I've given you this uh, terrific but also very true sort of introduction into your, your professional life as it were. But when you were talking about joy, you talked about your well-being and contentment, your family. And of course, I know that you're passionate about the work that you do. But actually, it occurred to me that really it's that it's, it's the your true north, as it were. You found your true north, and that's your anchor, which allows you to do the things that you care about, and that is helping others um you know, strive to be more successful, uh, more powerful, whatever it is. Um, it, it's quite interesting, don't you think, that you didn't really talk about your life work, as it were. It was family. Yes, uh, but you'll know, of course, uh, that uh, I am uh, 
Well, people say I am passionate and enthusiastic. I'll not put these words uh, from my own uh, experience, but people say that. Uh, but I, I think there is something just hitting the nail on the head there, Susie, you are on this two north scenario. And it's it surprises me at times, and yet uh, it's an important issue that people spend so much time worrying and concentrating on what I call Horizon One, like now. Right. And they are paying less attention to Horizon Two, which is coming next year, and even less attention to a more strategic horizon uh, four or five years hence, uh, not paying much attention to that. And uh, yeah. a business that only concentrates on today and doesn't think about the planning for tomorrow and for the future is a business that's going to die. And I also reflect that for individuals, professional people, uh, yes, it's important they concentrate on today because performance today is really critical. We get that. But the work we're doing now Shouldn't we be picking up the intelligence? Shouldn't we be picking up the trends that inform us for a better future for tomorrow and for the longer term? And it, it resonates with people that when I ask them directly, I said, tell me where you are with your planning for Horizon 2 and Horizon 3. It's normally a silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, for me, is uh, a big deal, helping people get themselves broader and deeper in their thinking about not just today, but for tomorrow also. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, with one of my other hats that I wear, um, I help organisations think about, you know, that horizon two and three, as you say, yeah. and, you know, sort of helping them and coaching them around the kind of tools and the mechanisms that they can use, whether it be scenario planning or um, workforce scanning to look at the environment, to look at the trends, to see what's going to accelerate performance. But when you think about, so that's, I would call that an organisational capability you know it's like a collective capability and of course it is incumbent on leaders to ensure that that capability is well developed but when you think about it from an individual point of view from a uh, a leader's point of view and you talk about the true north do you um do you think leaders uh, check in with themselves often enough to sort of evaluate where they are in life and how things may have changed or, you know, and I don't mean just in a business sense in terms of, you know, AI, that kind of thing. I'm talking about sort of reconnecting with themselves, as it were, so that they create the right balance. Do you think that happens often enough, John? What's your experience? Well, I I think that uh, most leaders, I'll, uh, I'll put it this way, most leaders uh, reflect, but they don't reflect enough. Right, okay. And, and the word that I like, Susie, is discern. 
And discern is a bit different from reflection because in this busy life, uh, for me, discerning uh, means seeing things that are not clear and taking the time to think about what is it I'm trying to achieve here? How am I helping my team with the purpose of the team uh, and connecting it to the business? Uh, but what does it mean for me professionally? And I, I think we could all learn to discern more from our busy lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you say, something around, I like this term, evaluating uh, where are we today uh, in terms of the context for uh, tomorrow. And, and it's a nice connection, I think, Susie. Um, you're good at this, Susie, by the way. Your questions are excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there is something, Susie, about what I would term uh, professional reputation. Yes. Uh, if, you're, if you're a leader, a senior person in an organisation, then you will have a professional reputation. We all do. Mm-hmm. And people perceive, uh, based on our behaviours, uh, and link that to a professional reputation. Now, the question I've got for many people I work with is, what are you doing to polish your professional reputation? Ah, okay. Another question I asked them was, describe to me how people see you. Right. And uh, sometimes when I'm having more difficult conversations with uh, an individual, perhaps... Uh, uh, it's difficult for them to see. It's difficult for them to discern how people perceive them. And In fact, I'm thinking about an individual I'm I'm working with just now, and he has been accused of uh, behaviours which are verging on bullying. And I said, do you recognise this? And they said, no, no, I don't recognise it, John. People don't understand me. I'm a passionate person, and I think they've got me all wrong. And it took me quite a while to hold the mirror up for this person to have a look in the mirror. And then they said this to me, I had no idea. Ah. I had no idea that my behaviours were being interpreted in this way. Thank you so much, John. And that's important, isn't it? Of course, absolutely, because what you're doing, I mean, I think uh, self-awareness rarely comes just through sort of your own navel-gazing. I think you need to sort of what I would call triangulate, ask the right questions, listen. Um, and oftentimes I think, you know, this is the... This is the challenge with leaders because they're given, if you like, status and power and authority because, you know, they have influence over um, other people's careers or resources or whatever it may be. Uh But that power, if it's used in the wrong way, can be perceived as coercive and um, not necessarily healthy. and in today's world of work, uh, you know, people are not that 
I can't say the word, but there's, oh, I can't say the word, the authority. You know, when I worked, when I first started working, John, you would never have questioned uh, a senior leader. I mean, just no way. Uh, now it's a completely different way. There's much more transparency. There's much more of an expectation from the workforce about the kind of treatment that they should receive and how they themselves should be able to sort of uh, grow and be happy in their job, not just be paid, you know, sort of salary and benefits and that type of thing. Yeah, and sorry, Susie, but I think... No, no, go on. And I, I think we're witnessing that in the world of work just now where uh, younger populations, uh, like my daughters who are in their mid to later 20s, their, their perspective on their roles and organisations is it's about helping them uh, uh, achieve things which are worthwhile, <laughs> things which yes. they see as close to their purpose in life. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, some organisations are actually struggling a bit about retaining uh, talent uh, because they don't understand that, that these young people have a different view uh, uh, a more critical view of uh, what's important for them. And if they don't find it or they don't be recognised for what they're trying to achieve, then they'll just move. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the this, it's this supply different market. I mean, it's very different, I think, in terms of, you know, you've got five generations in the workplace, people working longer. There's not that um, stereotypical sort of way in which somebody enters a career, stays 30 years and then leaves. It's, it's very different now, isn't it? Totally different. And uh, I can remember my father being aghast when I moved jobs a long time ago. But uh, now uh, there is an expectation that if the world of work where you are is not fulfilling mm -hmm. your personal needs, then you'll need to find it. And uh, I think that's something which is a healthy thing, actually, because organisations have to wake up that they've got challenges to retain talent. It's a competitive market for, for talent. And what is it we're doing to connect and align and engage with our talent in a way that is meaningful in the receiver's yeah. eyes, as opposed to what we think, uh, which would be the wrong way to do it, I believe. Well, the, the other thing I think as well, when you look at the, if you want to say complexity of the, the sort of the workforce and their needs and wants, an old boss of mine used to call it the psychographics, um, and uh, which I think is quite interesting. But if you think about that, um, typically, a business is serving a consumer or a client or a societal pool yeah. that has all the elements of their their workforce. So they're being judged by the how they how they create prosperity, but also how the the, the, the people they do that through, i.e., the workforce. And I think it is more complex for leaders, which makes me sort of brings me on to th this idea of True North, John. What would be your sort of recommendation about how 
a leader sort of keeps himself, I want to say tethered, but maybe connected is a better word, but sort of really connected to their true north um, without allowing life to run away with them. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there is something about uh, this aspect you, you asked first of all about joy and well-being and being content uh, because as all evidence that I've researched over the years linking uh, individual performance uh, to outcomes, if you like, and it just seems so clear that you isn't it obvious that you get the best out of people when their well-being is appropriately served, when they are uh, appropriately recognised and uh, they're in an environment which they feel that their contribution is being connecting through to a purpose which is has some affinity for them. So uh, all of these things begin to converge and the word that I like is when you get it right, it resonates for individuals, and when it resonates for individuals, then you get the optimal performance outcome. And uh, you know, leaders have got to recognise that uh, there is something beautiful about people, uh, which is around uh, diversity. It's around the difference of, and uh, the best leaders are the ones that understand that people are complex, people are clearly different and require different things and are able to adapt uh, and uh, not have one-size-fits-all approach. And uh, they will get that resonance with individuals and then collectively you'll have what I would call a high-performing team or a business unit. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I think listening to what you're saying, it, there's a lot for a leader to have to get right, isn't there? Um, and it requires this kind of flexibility and delivering results through people, not in spite of people, requires a great deal of emotional intelligence. So how, how do you do you think... How, how would you say that, how can leaders sort of make sure that they're developing that emotional intelligence? That's one question. And the other question is, do you think emotional intelligence can be taught? Yes, well, I'll answer that one straight away, absolutely. Uh, not, not just because I'm a bit of a fan of Daniel Goleman and his research on emotional intelligence. Um, uh I, I just think that, in fact, the way I try to help people is uh, it's around this word that I use called authenticity. Uh, there is something in research that points, if you're going to be an effective professional leader, you've got to be authentic. And Daniel Holman talks in, indeed about being authentic. However, I like to add that being authentic, in other words, being yourself, is not an excuse. <laughs> Remain as you are. What you must do, yes. in my view anyway, is be authentic 
please be authentic, but be better. And a lot of leaders need help to recognize that it's always going to be, I can be myself, but that doesn't stop me being better. And the, the points that you made earlier about uh, uh, listening and raising yourself awareness are the key elements of developing your emotional intelligence. And of course, people can, and I work with many people. I hear it again, and I'm going to use the same expression. People say to me, gosh, John, I had no idea. I had no idea. It's like giving someone a key that opens a door and they look through into this other room and they think, gosh, that room wasn't open to me before. Yes. And it's through self-awareness. Uh, and indeed, I have a, an example recently from someone got in touch with me and they said, look, John, I wouldn't mind you talking to this group. And this group uh, were neurosurgeons. Okay. They were young. And the person who uh, asked me to speak to them asked me to speak about professional reputation. And I said, can you help me understand why you think this, this population of neurosurgeons need some help? He said, well, it's simple, John. Said, these people are best in class in their, uh, in their expertise, thankfully, <laughs> in their knowledge, and they've been through a long track to get where they are. But they've got to remember when they're in an operating theatre, they're a part of a large team. Um, and their behaviours and the way they connect to their colleagues will have a direct link to their professional reputation. You may well be the most technical, but no one wants to work with you because you're a dick or some yes. thing like that. So he was saying that you've got to be careful with expertise and professional abilities because there's a link uh, to ego. Uh, ego is a link to uh, reputation. And you surely we know this, don't we, Susie, in this world, in the public world we witness every day. We hear and see people uh, with a professional reputation that was high and has now disappeared. Very low, yes or disappearing, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, we need to help leaders uh, recognise the development. You know, my comment earlier about being better. The question I always have with someone, whether this person is a CEO or a managing director, doesn't matter. The question is, tell me, how are you getting better? Tell me. Tell me what is it you're doing? to be better. Uh, and it stumps some people. Uh, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, it's that what you're talking about here with technical expertise and ego and so on is that it's not enough. We, ought, we have to have a self-belief in our capabilities, you know, that sort of conscious competence, if you like, that we, we, we're, we're effective in the role or the part that we're playing in the organization's success. But when 
What I've seen in my life, and I'll include myself in this, is when you get a little bit high on your own success, and and therefore you you know you sort of you sort of kind of feel like you're walking on water a wee bit. But that it's really that that question about how are you how are you getting better is that self-check that we all need to do to make sure that we're not tripping ourselves up with our ego and not preventing ourselves from either being better at what we do but also being a better colleague. Yes, And Susie, there's something about our mindset here because if you have a tendency to be closed in your mindset, you're never going to be polishing and developing. So all of us need to reflect on, have I got a positive mindset and am I agile in thinking about my development and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm lucky because, uh, you know, Jan Jan, my wife is excellent at giving me feedback. (laughs) And uh, I, you know, feedback's an interesting word, but... Uh, I, I I rejoice in the sense that I get feedback. I also get feedback from my daughters, and they're part and parcel of my uh, ongoing education uh, uh, appropriately. But you're making me think about my mother-in-law, actually, because she said to me a wee while ago, she said, John, the trouble with you is you're too charming for your own good. Oh, really? <laughs> what did she mean by that? Exactly. The question I had that I has been uh, reflecting and discerning in my own mind, I, I think there was a compliment somewhere, but it was a bit like an overdone strength. Uh, mm-hmm. she, was war- war- she was helping me recognise that my interactions with people can be misinterpreted and I've got to be careful with that. Uh, so, Well, that, I mean, you know, what you're talking about, you know, the, the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, the, the feedback piece is, is great if it's given with uh, love, respect, um, where you are, You've got candor, but it is a candor that has got um, empathy. Oh, yes. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, other, otherwise, it can be extremely, extremely damaging. Um, but they, they, they're talking about this notion of feed forward now rather than feed back. I love that, yeah, because that plays back to uh, Three Horizons chat earlier. Uh, uh, not only do I have uh, uh, colleagues and family that help me with uh, insights, maybe a better word, uh, but I have a coach uh, also, and she... She is brilliant for me because she's a professional coach. I'm a professional coach also. And she helps me reflect on, tell me about client work, John, that you're actually very proud of, gives you joy perhaps, or client work that you're finding a bit maybe tedious or it's not progressing as well as you you, you think it should, etc. And she offers me insights she offers me uh, a different perspective and i think 
you know, this word feedback it can be, you know, if a colleague says to you, John or my mother-in-law, can I give you some feedback? Then you begin to think negatively immediately. Uh, but if someone says to you, you know, I've got one or two insights that might help you, John, I think that's a totally different uh, uh, perspective to have. So people like my coach, uh, Bobby Sunnam, and Bo- Bobby uh, helps me with insights and reflections and perspectives, uh, which she actually draws from me as opposed to Bobby saying in a mentoring way, this is what I would do. She doesn't do that. I, I think um, I think that's well, it's really cool, first of all, but it takes me back to, you know, I think if we, um, if we all had uh, the luxury of having a, a coach working with us, I think we, we should absolutely take that. Um, that's for sure. But what it reminds me of when um, I was sort of first starting out and I was in a a new type of industry, uh, new type of expectations. The pressure was on and I was desperate to succeed and prove myself. And I remember never feeling uh, quite the finished article, as it were. But in saying that, I, what I, I was very observant. So I watched people around me and I would watch individuals and think, oh, gosh, I really liked how they said that. Or that, I could, I would never have thought about that. So I almost had these mentors that didn't know they were my mentors. Um, and there was one lady who I worked with, and she was extremely good from a, a coaching perspective in terms of coaching teams and getting the best out of teams. And whenever I went into a situation where I felt perhaps maybe not quite the finished article and I was expected to be doing coaching, I used to imagine her sitting on my shoulder, sort of um, kind of giving me that invisible, um, I don't know, nudge. Because I, I think I think we all need a nudge now and again, don't you? Oh, without doubt. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if you it's a bit like you've mentioned True North earlier. If we don't have uh, a compass, if you like, internally helping us with not just the direction of where we're going, but for me, even more importantly, how we are behaving and how we're getting there. Uh, the fact is that there isn't a ship that sets sail that doesn't require an adjustment to the customer's heading. We all meander a wee bit off course, don't we? we? Yes. We go off course and we need that nudge to bring us back on course. Uh, I think what we're saying is, yes, it's wonderful and valued when others can nudge us, but it's even more valuable when we've got some sort of um, uh, automatic uh, steering mechanism, uh, call it an autopilot almost, yes, uh, where we can reflect and discern, I'm actually going off uh, 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 my journey here and I need to get back on on course. It, 
it reminds me of that, you know, when you, um, that whole thing about being unconsciously incompetent and then consciously competent and so on. It's almost like part of our compass as leaders should always be to have a dial that says consciously incompetent. What am I consciously striving for here? Uh just to self-check and to ask others, which brings me on to, because we've talked about a lot about leaders and finding their true north. And of course it's important because if they do that, then they have a positive impact on others. But in your experience, um, how do you see leaders, you know, what, are you, what, what do you see as being the leaders who create supportive and empowering environments um, for their team? What are the sort of the characteristics that you might like to kind of call out that you see as having to be present? Yeah, um, I'm fortunate enough to be working with uh, someone who I think is a great, I'm not naming this person or the company, but it's a global drinks company and it operates in what they call prestige markets that's really high-end products. Uh, And the person I'm thinking about, let me just call this person John. Uh, John, uh, I admire as a CEO. And why do I admire John? Not just because the commercial results are amazing for the company, but he has a very appropriate leadership style for a CEO of a global company. He is highly engaging with his team. He is high on trust and giving people autonomy in his team. He has a delightful way of engaging and challenging at the same time. (laughs) He's just amazing where he can help people be feel recognised. But back to my point earlier, can you be better? Can you, yes. You know, that angle about being... And he, uh, he lives the values. You, you just know this person uh, is living the values of uh, the organisation. So there are many aspects, many attributes, many characteristics, many traits of uh, people I've seen who are very successful leaders. But the major on um, the more emotional intelligence considerations we've talked about and being open uh, to, I mean, I coach this person, being open to feedback, uh, I think, is key to all. But, you know, I'm not going to forget that this person, John, as I mentioned earlier, is really knowledgeable. He he has a knowledge of the business uh, which is astonishing. So you could never pull the wool over his eyes because he's so knowledgeable. And there's something about being what I call contemporary in leadership. If you're in a senior position, you've got to be contemporary. You've got to be up there. You've got to be looking around the world at best in class. Uh, because if you're not doing it, don't expect your team to be doing it because they should be. 
Well, it's interesting. What you're talking about here are the sort of a combination of qualities that allow people to grow, improve, but also what well, John um, that we're talking about, John, it sounds as if he's creating genuine followership. You know, um, and I don't mean that in a sort of a woo-woo sort of a Mamuni kind of thing, but genuinely people who um, are inspired, um, they want the same things. But this technical knowledge and then keeping keeping very abreast of what's going on and how to how to make, uh, maintain relevance is so important because oftentimes I find, John, that there are, unfortunately, CEOs know more about their external environment than actually what's going on in their own organization. I mean, is, is, am I just, have I just been unlucky or do you, have you seen a similar thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous one uh, to, to slip out of the reality of their business. But the, the ones that I work with, thankfully, are, are on the money uh, internally and, uh, I've never really had issues that way, but uh, the ones that become separated from the reality of their organisation will surely slip up uh, because, uh, you know, the performance of their organisation comes from what's real in their organisation. So they must be close to it. And I'm just about this person I'm talking about. Uh, I mentioned it earlier about having a positive mindset. This person has a very positive outlook. So there's something about, uh, I'm trying to find the word, Susie, but optimism. Yes, yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, about the, this is a stupid analogy for a drinks company, but it's seeing the glass half full, not half empty. It's that optimism and yes. sense of positivity that that actually differentiates some uh, senior leaders, I've found. The senior leaders who are pessimistic, a good old Scottish word here, doer. Doer, yes. <laughs> you know, how are they going to uh, inspire? They are not going to inspire. No, no, because they're so much darkness around us, that people need hope. I mean, I think that's uh, the thing that we all need. There's enough fear in the world. And when we come, we want, you know, when we come to work and we put so much of our, our own selves energy, yes, we might get paid, but most people come to work and they really care about what they're doing. You know, look at look at look at your Jan in, in the NHS. You know, yes, she gets paid, but that's she's doing something bigger than that almost. You know, and I, and I think that people need to, in my experience anyway, John, they need they need somebody who inspires hope, who has the courage to lead them, who doesn't gloss over the challenges, but but works with individuals to find a way through rather than dump it on somebody else and say, you know, I need a solution in in two hours, find it out for me type of thing, you know. Um, 
which brings me on to this, the, 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 what you very uh, articulately described as the horizons one, two, and three, you know, going from now right through to four to five years. Do you think that uh, reward structures typically um, that, that reward in the short term, and I would say my experience is that most reward structures are sort of calendar, sort of yearly types of um, structures. Do you think that has an impact on um, creating the right behaviours to focus on that second and third horizon? Yeah, uh, you know, I mentioned it. Uh, thank you. It's a great question. And of course, too many organizations, too many leaders have a diary event which is called a performance review or something similar. And don't get me wrong, that's an important, uh, but it should be a performance stroke development review. Uh, but it, surely we all recognize that performance and development is an ongoing activity uh, with colleagues. It's not something that you just wait three months and sit down and have a conversation about something that happened three months ago that... No. No, it's just not possible. So the best leaders that I've seen at this actually are recognising and encouraging and having at times the difficult conversations all the time. They're not waiting for a review. And I'm saying the difficult conversation. The difficult conversation should be something like a coaching conversation. So it's something along the lines of, now, John, tell me how you felt that particular uh, activity has gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're already into what we discussed earlier, and that was we are reflecting we are discerning, we are thinking about being better. Yes. You know, the, the conversations on the performance, as we all know, should not be surprises to people. Uh, they should be something that's uh, uh, already happened and everyone's exactly clear on where they are and what they're doing and how they're doing. But the point is... You talked about reward structure, Susie. Reward, for me, is recognition. When people are recognised for the work they're doing uh, and encouraged about the possibilities, as you mentioned earlier, oh boy, does that drive performance. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you know what? I, I, I... I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I think we've we've covered most of what we set out to do. Is there any sort of final words of wisdom that you would like to add, John? Well, I think I would like to go back to my uh, meeting in New York with my colleague when we were surprised in the number of people that attended the presentation called Priorities, Pan Pilots and the Purpose of Life. Because the third element there, the purpose of life, is really uh, where it's at for all of us. Uh, you know, it's about how am I settling my personal priorities against what I'm here on this earth to achieve? And for some people, unfortunately, Susie, they forget. 
the purpose of life. Do you know, it's interesting you say that because I think um, oftentimes people can wait to life-defining moments, whether it's something like that, like a health crisis or, a, you know, redundancy or something like that. For me, I mean, it's one of in, in the other stuff that I do, I create a career, I've created a career happiness roadmap. And the, the reason I've done that is because I wished I had had something like that 20 years ago, you know, almost like a pocket coach, that you would take that, it, it, you, you have to... You have to be checking in regularly about your purpose of life because, you know, at the end of the day, life is for living, I think. Uh, work is a part of that. But, there's, you know, we're not defined by the work we do. And wouldn't it be great if when we all passed over into another life or whatever you, you, you like to believe spiritually or religiously, that actually you can, people will be left behind saying, wow, they made an impact, they made a difference and a, and a good one at that and they helped. And I think to me, we should always be thinking about, well, I love how you said it. I don't think you can say it any better. How are we getting better? How, as individuals, do we still check ourselves and just check in with our purpose of life? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's all, it's all there for us, Susie. We've just got to grasp that opportunity every day. Absolutely. Now, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you, John. Um, if people want to reach out to you and connect with you and find out more about the work that you do, how do you suggest they do that? LinkedIn, send you a sort of a private message, or how would you suggest? I've got a website, John Ferguson Leadership, no problem. Perfect. Well, that sounds great. Well, it's just it remains for me to say, as I knew this would be a pleasure, and it absolutely was. Thank you, John, for all your wisdom and uh, your friendship. Well, I'm still blushing, and thank you again, Susie, for your kind words. But it's been a joy as you described it. Thanks, Susie. Fantastic. It's been a joy for me. It's been a joy for me too, John. I really enjoyed it. Once again, thanks to John Ferguson, whose experience and wisdom oozes authenticity. I particularly liked how John reminds us about the purpose of life and being connected to that. I mean, deliberate about how we find our own true north. One simple but effective takeaway for all leaders is to ask ourselves, how am I getting better? Keeping it grounded and connected to ourselves and those around us. I thought that was really special. Thank you. Please join us on the next episode of The Joy Factory, where I'll be chatting to another guest and discovering their thoughts about how we connect and create happiness for ourselves and others.